When people are looking for a new church to call home, they often ask several questions just before or just after their initial visit. If it's a family with kids, they might ask, what are the children's and youth ministries like? Some people ask, how long are the services, or what is the worship like on Sundays? Is it traditional, contemporary, or a little bit more modern? I've heard people ask, are the chairs comfortable to sit in? Are the sermons engaging? And is the coffee any good? Not all of these questions are good by any stretch of the imagination, but not all of them are bad either. You know, as a dad of four boys, I want to know what the children's ministry is like. Is the church reinforcing the biblical truths that we're teaching our kids at home? Are they able to build healthy relationships with other students and with other adults? I've known people who've had back issues or health issues, and they've genuinely needed to know what the seating was like. And I can tell you this, as being part of the staff here at OCC, um, we want the coffee to taste good on Sundays because we want to do whatever we can to serve people well when they're here. But I want to suggest to you today that a church can have all these things. A church can check all the boxes of what people typically look for in a church and not actually be a healthy church. I remember having a conversation with a woman four or five years ago um, that left me questioning if somehow we've missed the mark when it comes to prioritizing the right things as a church. At the time, I was serving on staff at Westmore Community Church in Oklahoma City. Now, Westmore is a larger church. It's an amazing church. God's doing great things through Westmore. And uh, while I was serving on staff, a woman in her late 20s said that she didn't come to church uh, as often as she used to because she felt like the worship had gone downhill. She felt like the messages uh, just weren't that engaging anymore. I think I remember something that she said specifically. I'm going to try to quote it to you best I can. She said, it's really important to me that my Sunday experience is impactful. This conversation really got me thinking. Maybe we've prioritized the Sunday service and the Sunday morning experience so much that we've unknowingly trained people to be spiritual consumers instead of spiritual contributors. Think about that for just a moment. If we do things that train people to be spiritual consumers instead of spiritual contributors, then how is the church any different from any other organization or club that people belong to? And if the church is meant to be different from all of these things, and I believe that it is, then how do we know if we're doing what God has called us to do? You know, is there a blueprint that we can follow, a blueprint that we should follow that teaches us how the church should be structured, what its priorities should be, and what its mission is? How do we know if the church is healthy and functioning properly? Well, today I'm excited to begin a new message series called Marks of a Healthy Church. Over the next six weeks, we're going to focus in on six essential marks or essential characteristics that all healthy churches have in common. Now, the six marks that we're going to talk about are not the only things that mark a healthy church, but these things help set a solid foundation, and that's why we're going to talk about them. Our key passage for this series is found in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Now, all the marks that we're going to talk about are clearly seen in this passage and in the example of the early church. So my plan is to read this passage each week, 
I'll highlight the mark or the characteristic of that particular Sunday. And then we'll look to other passages throughout God's word to help bring greater clarity and practical application for what it is that we're talking about. Now, before we read from Acts chapter 2, I want to remind our church family and all of our listeners today that no church is perfect. Let me say that again. No church is perfect or even close to perfect. In fact, perfection is not what God has called us to strive for. Instead, he calls us to aim for faithfulness and obedience to his word. So whether you're listening in as a guest or you're a church member who's been here for a lot of years and you want to grow in your faith. Maybe you're a deacon who wants to serve the church well, or an elder who wants to shepherd the church faithfully. I believe that applying these marks of what makes a healthy church will be helpful. This is going to be practical. It's going to remind all of us about what's truly important as we seek to accomplish the mission that God has invited us into. So if you have a Bible with you today, uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, as well as 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 4. So you can go ahead and find your place uh, in those spots. We'll start with Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The first mark of a healthy church is found in verse 42. I wonder if you caught that as I read it. I'll reread the first part of that verse. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. So the first mark that we see is this unified devotion to biblical preaching and teaching. Biblical preaching and teaching. Um, To help us understand why this mark is so essential, it remains essential today, I'd like to draw your attention to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 16, and then we'll read through chapter 4, verse 5. So 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you... Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. So this passage in 2 Timothy 3 and 4 may be the clearest that we have on why biblical preaching and teaching is such an essential mark 
or an essential characteristic of a healthy church. In this passage, the Apostle Paul gives us at least three reasons why this is true. And I'd like to highlight these reasons today. If you're taking notes, the first reason is this. The church is a community formed by God's word. The church is a community formed by God's word. We see this in verses 16 and 17. It says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, there are all kinds of communities that are formed apart from God's word. I think we all know this to be true. There are communities that are formed around ethnicity, Um, communities that are formed around a common interest in sports, hobbies, shared struggles, and even social status. But the church, a community that's made up of God's people, is called to be different from all of these things. It's a community that's meant to be formed by God's word and God's word alone, the authority of God's word, instead of being formed by the world. So these verses in 2 Timothy 3, they give us insight into how God's word forms God's people. We see that God uses his word to teach us. Um, Verse 16 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. So the word teaches us. When we read and listen to God's word, we learn about who God is and who we are created to be in Christ. Friends, I would say that if you want to become all that God has designed you to be, In your family, so whether you're a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a grandparent, whatever it is, if you want to become all that God has designed you to be in your family, um, at work, in the community, and in your friendships, read and listen to God's word. God uses his word to teach us. And we also see in this passage that God uses his word to convict us. So the word convicts us. We see this also in verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking. Now this word rebuke or rebuking, um, it sounds like a pretty heavy word, right? Um, It's the same word as convicting. And this is a good thing. You know, we're all really good at wandering off the path that God has called us to walk and living our lives according to our own desires and our own will. Well, God knows this about us. So what did he do? Well, he gave us his word. He gave us his word to sound the alarm in our hearts that we've wandered off his path. You know, we're really excited to have my parents here this weekend. They're driving up from Oklahoma. It's a long drive. And my parents, they taught me a lot of great things growing up. One thing that my dad taught me is how to mow the lawn. He taught me how to fill the mower with gas, how to check the oil, how to start the mower, and how to mow straight lines in the yard. Now, when I was first learning how to mow, I'm pretty sure I did a terrible, terrible job. All right, the lines were all crooked. Um, I killed the mower several times, and I'm pretty sure I complained a lot. (laughs) But my dad would actually come alongside me and give me an example of how I could keep my lines straight. He would show me how he could stay on the right path. In a much greater way, this is what God does in all of our lives through his word. As we read and listen to the word with hearts and lives that are really good at wandering off the path that God has called us to walk, God quietly warns and convicts us through his word. God's word has a way of getting our attention before we completely get off track. And then when we do inevitably get off track, he uses his word to draw us back. God's word convicts us. We also see in the same verse that God uses his word to correct us. So he convicts us and he also corrects us. 
2 Timothy 3.16 goes on to say, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting. Now, I would say that conviction and correction go hand in hand. Where conviction is God sounding the alarm in our hearts that we're getting off the path that he's called us to walk, correction causes a change in our lives. It repositions, reorients, and redirects us according to God's will. And when our desires and the circumstances in this world that are around us lead us in one direction, God's word corrects us so that we can walk the path that he's called us to walk. So God's word corrects us. We also see that God's word trains us. God uses his word to train us. And this verse, verse 16, has so much to teach us about the role of God's word in our lives. In fact, I would say that we're barely scratching the surface today. But this verse continues by saying, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Although we've been declared righteous in Christ, which means we've been made right with God by God's grace through faith in Jesus, um, that righteous status isn't always reflected in the way that we live. Even after we become a Christian, we still need training. We still need to grow. Last fall, I decided to teach my third youngest son, uh, Phillips, um, how to rake the leaves in the backyard. Now, we have a huge maple tree in our backyard that's really pretty for several weeks in the fall, um, but it's a nightmare when it starts to lose its leaves because there's so many. Now, I assume that Phillips would know exactly what to do when I asked him to help rake the leaves because he'd seen mom, dad, and his older brothers do it for a couple of years. So I asked him to help, and you know what happened? He ended up making a bigger mess than what was there before he started helping. Now, I could have gotten really upset with him, and if I'm honest with you, there have been plenty of times as a parent um, that I have, but I was reminded by my beautiful wife that I had asked him to do something without actually teaching him how to do it. I didn't give him the training that he needed to do the job correctly. God, on the other hand, is a perfect parent, and he never fails to give us the training that we need to live the Christian life. See, he's faithfully given us his word, which is useful for training and righteousness. If you want to know how to parent your kids by God's design, right? if you want to know how to have a successful godly marriage, if you want to know how to have joy in a job that you don't really like, how to love people who are really hard to love, and how to be an effective follower of Jesus, friends, read and listen to God's word. God has given us his word to train us, to help us grow in our faith. Well, God's word also equips us. That's one way that he uses his word. We see this in verse 17. It says, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You could say that the purpose of the word in teaching us, convicting us, correcting us, and training us is so that we would be equipped to do the good works that God has planned in advance for us to do. You know, a football player wouldn't go into a game without a helmet or shoulder pads. And a baseball catcher wouldn't crouch behind the plate without a face mask or chest protector. Likewise, we shouldn't begin the day without the right set of tools. And that's why we like to say, begin each day in the word and in prayer. God's word is what equips us to live for him each and every day. The Bible is for learning, but it's also for living. You know, it doesn't just inform us, it also transforms us as we apply God's truths to our daily lives. So biblical preaching and teaching is an essential mark of a healthy church because the church is a community formed 
by God's word. Point number two, the church is a community always prepared to share the word. Listen to the Apostle Paul's charge to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2. All right, these are powerful verses. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So last Sunday, it was a privilege to have Stan Smelser here from GBM. Uh, GBM, or Gospel Broadcasting Mission, is an incredible ministry that, that's using radio to get the good news of Jesus out all over the world. Now, we support GBM and have done so for many, many years. And our partnership with them is only going to grow in the future. But GBM is not the only ministry that God wants to use here at OCC when it comes to sharing the good news about Jesus with other people. I believe that this church has been planted in this community for a reason. I believe that you have the job that you have, that you're part of the family that you belong to, and that you live in the neighborhood that you live in for a reason. Friends, I believe that God wants all of us to take a closer look at the circle of influence that he's given us, and to preach the word, to share Jesus with as many people as possible. Now, I know what you're thinking. (laughs) You're thinking, Craig, I'm not a preacher. I'm not really comfortable telling other people about Jesus. But listen, you don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a theologian or a church leader to share your faith. One thing that God has given all of us is a personal story. You have a unique story of how God has changed your life, and that story needs to be shared. There was a verse that came to mind this week. I think this is so powerful. It's in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 13. This is what it says. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men, who had been with Jesus. If you're an ordinary person with no special training from a Bible college who knows the Lord, then you're the perfect candidate to be used by God to make an eternal difference in the lives of others. And that's amazing news. I want to encourage you to pray about these things. Ask God to help you. Help you be prepared in season and out of season. Ask him to give you his strength and the kind of courage that you need to share your faith with others. Look for ways to share your story, even if it's just a small portion of your story. And do that with the people that are in your circle of influence. You know, you and I believe in Jesus today because of people like Timothy who stepped out in faith to share the good news of Jesus with others. I was reminded this week that there are over 7 billion people living on planet Earth Today And the majority of them don't know Jesus. Right here in our own community, it's estimated that 80% of the people are unchurched. Think about that, 80%. The church is the vehicle that God has chosen to use to get the word out about who Jesus is and about what he's accomplished on the cross. We've been given this incredible responsibility to share that truth with others. I get it. It might not be easy. It might not be convenient. It might not always be allowed, depending on the job that you have. But you know what? That's okay. God will use these things to stretch us, to grow our faith, 
to have this kind of boldness that Peter and John had. Right? They weren't educated men. They were ordinary people. But God used them in a big way. Maybe for you it starts by inviting a friend, a neighbor, a family member, maybe a coworker to church. You know, they can listen in online each week. They can come in person. I think inviting someone to church is one of the easiest ways that you can introduce someone to Christ. So today, I want to encourage you to look for opportunities to share your faith, to share your story. And that leads us to the third and final truth, and that is that the church is a community standing firm on God's word. We see this truth in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 through 5. This is what we read. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Your friends, it's an understatement to say that God's word is constantly being attacked in our culture today. These cultural attacks are one reason why a lot of churches have stopped preaching and teaching God's word. A lot of people no longer want to hear biblical preaching and teaching. So instead, they find the podcast or the church service that'll tell them exactly what their itching ears want to hear. This was an issue in Timothy's day, and it's still an issue in our day today. Paul's encouragement to Timothy should be our encouragement as well. He's saying when it's hard, even when it's not politically correct or when it offends someone, we should stand firm on the authority of God's word. God wants us to persevere in biblical preaching and teaching. We do this for the glory of God and for the good of his church. We're to keep our eyes focused on God and his word. We're called to endure hardships with God's help and to do the good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. There's a great quote from R.A. Torrey. He was a late 19th and early 20th century preacher. He said, Every type of destruction that human philosophy, human science, human reason, human art, human cunning, human force, and human brutality can bring to bear against a book has been brought to bear against this book. And yet the Bible stands absolutely unshaken today. At times, almost all the wise and great of the earth have been pitted against the Bible and only an obscure few for it. Yet, the Bible has stood. As I bring this first message to a close, I want to remind you of the words of the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. The church is a community formed by God's word. The church is unique in that way. God's word teaches us. It convicts us, corrects us, trains us, equips us, and transforms our lives. The church is a community always prepared to share God's word. We're called to preach the word for the glory of God and for the good of the church. And we look for opportunities to share our story with others. The church is a community standing firm on God's word. And we keep our eyes focused on God and his word. We endure hardships with God's help. And we do the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Today, I want to encourage us to build our lives, our families, and our church on God's word. We're called to preach it. 
We're called to teach it, to learn it, and to obey it. And as we do, God is glorified, the church is built up, the lost are found, and we grow in our faith. Let's be a community of believers marked by biblical preaching and teaching.